Hello, and welcome once again to episode five of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code on our brand new show. My name is Dimitri, and I'll be your host once again for this episode. And I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Fernando. Hello. Spencer. Hi. And Ben. Hey. So to start off for today, Spencer, can you tell us if it's better to conquer technical debt or just rewrite a project from scratch? Yeah, well, um, that's that's something I'm kind of in, and I, I wanted this to be more of a discussion here because um, I have an app on the App Store. It's actually the only one that I have on the App Store right now that I wrote at, ooh, at this point well over three years ago. And in that time, I've learned a lot. And so when I go back to the project and I'm like, you know what, I haven't updated this app in a long time. I need to do that. I look at it and I say, wow, there is a lot of just technical debt where I could do things a lot better. Um, you know, and I sat there kind of trying to think, what should I do? Should I um, update the app and just kind of refactor everything or uh, just completely kind of build something from scratch, uh, you know, by referencing the old project, but it's kind of completely separate. And what I eventually did was just that, where they're not the same, uh, they're not in the same project. Um, I like this approach because it allows me to kind of get rid of all of that technical debt without sort of getting into, um, you know, keeping legacy code around. However, I don't think that's necessarily a viable thing on the job, right? You can't just throw away someone's project, some your company's project, and rewrite it from scratch every couple of years. So uh, I just kind of wanted to maybe get your guys' feedback on like, you know, have you ever experienced this before, uh, run into a similar problem, or is there some magic way of making it a little bit easier for me to even maybe stay in the same project and refactor it without maybe going crazy from all of this technical debt that I've accrued just by way of, you know, lack of knowledge uh, from years ago. Does your code work? It works. It's just not, I was doing a lot of things with, uh, you know, constraints, toggling constraints on and off because it was an iPad project to make it work with, um, with different, sizes when it's in split view and everything and it was just i mean i had a it's really one view controller with like a collection view in it and a table view in it and kind of a lot of like sliders to kind of move things around it ended up being you know probably three thousand lines of code of just and probably the majority of that was just toggling <laughs> constraints and it just became like <laughs> thinking about okay well what are the constraints for it in one-third uh you know width split screen and one-third width split screen in vertical and it was just so much that i i that's how i did it then and i'm like i could probably do this a little bit better now uh leveraging things like stack views and just kind of doing a little bit less but having it be more if that makes sense so it works but it's like it's a lot at the same time I would say if it's only 3,000 lines of code, rewrite it. Like yeah. you can rewrite it in a completely different way and learn a completely different method of putting the app together. And you might still want to re even rewrite it after that, uh, like run through uh, just because you're trying something different. Um, but 
uh, when you're dealing with a much larger project, that's when it's really difficult because you can make the the move, want to rewrite everything, and then you never finish um, and you never get back to where you were. Um, and sometimes that's the right move because the technical debt is just too much and it's better to leave things behind uh, than to keep using that code that uh, has fundamental problems that just prevent it from moving forward. Um, but if it is a small project, uh, then there are benefits both to the app to have it be rewritten because you can probably nail every feature once again, um, but also to you as a developer to learn a different way of putting it together. Um, Fernando, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, tell that to COBOL programmers. Because <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, if the per that's, that's, I guess that's why I asked the first thing, um, if the code works, right? If it's an app that you want to keep working on, then it's a side project. And I agree with you, Dimitri. Yeah. Like, just rewrite it. Just have fun with it. Uh, use React Swift. Use Swift UI. Use whatever you want to learn. And I think that's great. Um, but if it's a working app that you want to keep working, like, keep it working, uh, rewriting from scratch is the worst possible thing. It will always take you more time to re rewrite from scratch. No, let, let me, yeah, let me rephrase that. The bigger the app, the longer it takes because of the bugs that have already been fixed. Sure. So, uh, like for instance, uh, we had, I, I worked at a place where we wanted to redo the, the whole UI. So it wasn't a complex app. I've, I've been working on VPN apps for, for a long time. We wanted to redo it, but redoing it was like it it took us so so long because the decision was to re rebuild it from scratch and it was like oh, okay that's very easy it's just like like just like you said a couple of constraints i can just make yeah. this work blah 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 yeah, yeah. and then eventually you're like oh yeah but remember that we had that ugly code well that ugly code was for the se which we still maintain and it looks awful unless you have that code all right and then you keep doing that again and again and again for the ipad for a lot of things sure. so in in my personal experience i would never ever recommend rewriting from scratch uh very careful uh tending of your technical debt is what i've found to be best there's i'll send i'll share with you guys and i'll post it on twitter too there's a very famous article by um who's this You're guy stealing my thunder fernando Joel, Joel yeah, Spolsky. Go, go for it, go that, for it, go the, for it. that was the point I was going to make. No, but that, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Joel Spolsky famously has Joel on Software, a blog that he's had for like 20 years. I mean, a very long time. And he uh, famously has this article that's probably got at this point, I would guess, millions of page views because um, it's been around for so long. Basically, do not ever rewrite your software from scratch is his basic <laughs> advice. Um, and I think essentially all the stuff that you covered, uh, Fernando, is exactly what's in that article and, and the reasons why it's not a great idea um, because it's going to take you longer. It's kind of like that whole like the mythical man month or any kind of, oh, we're running late on a project. Let's add more people to the to the project and we'll finish it faster. It's like those are all fallacies. <laughs> yeah. None of those actually work. Um, and, and this is the same thing, I think, in general, if you're trying to rewrite something because you're like, this is kind of not great. Let's, let's redo this. Um, you're, 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 at best, you're going to introduce a bunch of new bugs that you're going to have to worry about. Um, and you might even forget about the bugs that you fixed. And so you might even reintroduce old bugs uh, that you had previously fixed because you couldn't remember that you, know, that you fixed them or how you fixed them. Um, so I think 
for production software, uh, generally speaking, a big no-no. Um, but for you, Spencer, um, particularly if it's, I would say, I guess I would say if it's if it's production software where you are not the only person working on it, right? If it's just you, sure. It's there are still downsides, but like the downsides are all on you, right? So like at least you're not right, inflicting yeah. <laughs> that on anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're on a team, right, like it's just almost never uh, a good idea because uh, you know for all the reasons we, we say people yeah. take you. Yeah, I, I figured it would be something like that. I mean, it makes sense from like in a professional environment. That's probably almost never going to be the solution, and I know that. You know, that's that's a huge reason why Objective-C and Swift are intercompatible, so you don't have to rewrite your, your app in Swift and everything. Um, but I, I, I would disagree with that. Like, the, the reason I brought up the, the whole, oh, we're going to do a rewrite of the UI thing was because we did it. Like, I advocated against it, but usually as it happens in jobs, whoever is above you thinks <laughs> it's a better idea, for right. better or for worse. And... And that's it. So we spend like a year doing that instead of shipping features. It happens because people are like, well, we can read all the other platforms at the same time and we'll look amazing. And you're like, no, it's going to take a long time. And yeah. it happens a lot more than you would think. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely see the downside. And I guess really my question was more like... <laughs> It, it's not one solution. It really, I think, like you're saying, it depends on like, like if I'm willing to incur the wrath of my own anger later on when refactoring or rewriting this whole thing, that's fine. But, it, it, you know, in a professional environment, that makes sense. So that's cool. Um, I would also add the opportunity cost because it's like, sure. again, if you're learning, yeah, totally fine. Go for yeah. it. And but that's... even if, if your ultimate goal is to deliver... Even if you say, I'll just do it, even though I know what I'm getting myself into, it's just even if you do it and you do it successfully and you do it within the time frame that you had envisioned, I would venture to say that that's such a huge investment because in the meantime, even if your code is like technic in indebted technically, I don't know, if, I had yeah. never heard that, but that makes sense. Um, you could be shipping new features that you, yeah. that could get you elsewhere. So even then, I don't know if I would I would say do it. That's interesting. Yeah, there is the the point of view as well to consider. Um, for many smaller apps, sometimes there aren't any new features per se to add, and refreshing the entire user interface can be a feature where you rethink how you um, manipulate and view data that your app presents. Um, sometimes that com like your model is not at all prepared for that, and nor is your existing UI. So if you are the one that wrote your code base, you generally have a much better mental map than anyone else about what went into it and what you could have done better at any given moment in time because you remember those those aspects of it. So if yeah. it's a code base that you did not write, and you don't understand it, so you advocate, okay, we should rewrite this, that is probably the wrong uh, move because you are going to be removing functionality that mm -hmm. someone mm -hmm. is relying on. Totally. But if you know your code base because you are the one that wrote it, chances are you know everything that you need to replace, um, assuming you are on top of it and 
you know all the aspects and you didn't take like five years of a break in between <laughs> because then you from now and you from the past are two very, very different people, <laughs> yeah. uh, as we all know as developers. Yes. Well, um, it's almost been five years. Um, but that's interesting that you bring it up. And maybe that was a lot of my reasoning behind doing it was I know that I sort of coded myself into a corner from the way of the model object where it deals with color palettes, but it's kind of like you can only set it up one way and it doesn't really allow itself for using colors in a separate way, like using uh, RGB, but it only uses uh, hue saturation brightness right now and that's kind of hard coded in. So uh, something that I am enjoying in rewriting it is the opportunity of making it so that like Fernando's saying, I can add new features. And like Dimitri's saying, it's kind of like before, if I were to refactor my code, I feel like that alone would be as much work, if not maybe more, having to completely, you know, change my core data model and change the UI along with it. Maybe not, but I don't know. Um, but this is kind of cool to to get some insight into both perspectives. And I'll definitely check out this, um, this blog post for sure. I, yeah, the reason Ben and I brought it up is because I, I think, it, I mean, ben, ben can add his own opinions, but but what resonated with me was that you want that feeling of like, yes, this is amazing, I'm building things. And mm -hmm. usually a big chunk of time, you don't get that feeling when developing because it's like, oh, I need to change this stupid code. And it's all broken and rotten. And, and Spolsky basically says like, code doesn't rot. It doesn't get <laughs> ugly. It just gets more functional because of bug fixes. And I think that's something that on, on the two sides of the scale that, that we always go towards the pretty code, elegant code, I want this code to be flexible. And the other side is the shipping code because shipping code is usually not great. It's usually not well architected because you always run into constraints, be it managerial constraints or time constraints. So I think that resonated with me so much because I hate code <laughs> and I don't want to write code. <laughs> I would much rather read code and refactor it than re write it from zero. That's, but that's just an opinion, totally. One thing you brought up, which I think is kind of interesting is the aspect that code does not rot. I think that is coming from a point of view that is not developing on Apple systems, because <laughs> if, you, yeah, if, if you need to rely on certain frameworks, say the QuickTime framework. The QuickTime framework is no more. If you relied on the QuickTime framework, your app is dead in the water. And if you never rewrote everything because there's no transition from the QuickTime framework to AV Foundation, then you don't have any functionality for your app. The same goes for OpenGL. OpenGL, soon to be no more. If you don't rewrite it all in Metal using completely different coding paradigms, then you're not gonna have an app. Um, and okay. that notion, even moving from iOS 6 to iOS 7, your UI is now instantly outdated. If you don't rewrite your entire UI, and oh, it turns out the way you wrote your UI, your UI works very well for having lots of textures everywhere, does not work so well for having solid colors everywhere, then, then your app is kind of dead. And a lot of apps got removed from the App Store because one, they couldn't be updated in that scenario, and yeah. then there was no way to rebuild it with Xcode because Xcode would not compile those parts of the app anymore uh, because certain features of the SDK are just gone. So you needed to compile with an older Xcode. Apple doesn't allow that older Xcode anymore. That app is now removed from the App Store. So uh, there is uh, the unfortunate truth that sometimes you need to rewrite significant portions. And most of the time, an app is the UI. The model is 
generally not the significant portion of it. It's how data is presented. Um, and you just get stuck sometimes. I like that you said that because yes, that's, I mean, that's not exactly, I, the, the article is from 2000. So like so sure. it's nearly 20 years old. So I agree things have, not only is he writing about Windows, uh, so the platform is different. Things have changed dramatically, just like you said. This is more akin to instead of rotting, it's like getting a permit every year. And so you get a permit, and they come and inspect your house building, whatever, and they say, oh, no, you know what? That was allowed last year, but this year I won't give you a permit if that, that's still there. And then you have to go, and yeah, maybe that's a load-bearing wall, and yeah, it's, it's annoying for sure. Yeah. No, that's um, yeah, the, the the last thing I'll say, well, I don't know, Ben, did you want to say something? No, I, I think it, it was all covered well. I think the, the big the, the the big fat caveat to make to that article, and we'll put it in the show notes so listeners and, and watchers can check it out, but um, the big fat caveat to that article is that it's all really good advice, but it's also from 20 years ago. So it is, sure. it is sort of of an era um, that I think is kind of both still very relevant, and yet at the same time, uh, I think enough has changed that 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 advice isn't. I wouldn't say it's rock solid in every scenario, but but I do think it's a good rule of thumb. And, and before anyone were to kind of discount, like, oh, it's from twenty years ago, Joel doesn't, you know, this, this is no longer valid or relevant advice. I think um, that it's 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 it would be easy to do that, right? It'd be easy to just sort of uh, yeah. say like, well, it's not any good, um, but. I think it still has a lot more relevance than maybe we even think. And, and, and in general, I think what we've said so far, right? Like, it's it's not it's generally not a good idea to start over if you have already started, right? Like, if you're already in sure. progress, yeah. it's almost never a good idea to stop and start mm -hmm. over because you're not going to end up in any better of a scenario than you were. You're just going to have different problems, right? So instead of having the problems that are in front of you, sure. you're going to ha those will probably be gone, and you'll have a whole se separate set of problems that are potentially maybe better, maybe the same, maybe worse, right? So like it's a gamble right. whether you're going to end up in, you know, yeah. I would say probably generally at best you're going to end up in the same position, and there's a decent chance you're going to end up in a worse position. So uh, while all those, I think all the caveats are very valid, and particularly about like iOS, right? We we kind of are forced to. To, we're being pulled along by Apple, right? Um, and which is a good thing. I mean, I think that that's that's nice because I don't have to open apps on my phone that looked like they were last touched ten years ago, um, only like four or five years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the oldest and ugliest ones are are not that old and ugly because they just don't work anymore if they're too old and ugly. Um, but uh, but I, I still think that it's 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 valid advice. So I just would want to, I get my point, I guess is just sort of say like, take it with a grain of salt, but also remember that there's still, there are still valid points in there. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, the last thing I, I, I think I have one more thing. You just reminded me, um, the issue with rewriting, rewriting, especially, and I've seen it a lot. It's happened to me and I've seen it to, uh, happen to other developers is that if you have a, very flexible hierarchy, like you have a Trello ticket that's basically rewrite the uh, OpenGL framework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that usually, unless you're like the 1%, which let's face it, you're not, maybe Dimitris, <laughs> but <laughs> most people are not, including myself. You'll start working on that and then you'll start fixing this and that and your sense of cleanliness will 
permeate all over the place and then you're eventually rewriting the whole app totally. and i've seen it happen time and time again so the the one thing i'll say is if you come out like if you listen to all that we've said and you say i still want to rewrite it from scratch the one thing i'll advise is break up your to-do list stories or whatever be granular literally as much literally when, yes. when it starts becoming ridiculous like oh changing label <laughs> that's perfect yeah because <laughs> that way you'll start progressing you you won't burn out and you'll eventually reach your, your goal because the last time I, I i saw that was like oh we need to write our cordia stack which was a very simple task really we were only saving like a hundred objects to this. We, we didn't even really need core data. And one guy got the ticket. It was like a two week ticket. So it's, it was like, like the whole sprint, the sprint finished and he wasn't even done. So it was like, come on. Uh Oh, we lost Fernando. Uh -oh. I think he was done with his point anyway. So we'll try again. <laughs> So on that note, uh, you have a public service announcement. So please document your code. Care to explain? Yes. So this week in particular, last week and this week, um, I've been on a journey at my job to try and implement um, uh, some stuff with a custom C libraries, C and C++ libraries, which not something we deal with a ton on iOS. Um, and so I have kind of got a new appreciation for both um, how much, how important it is to document the code that you write and document the ways in which your code can be used. So that includes things like installation instructions, uh, compilation instructions, if you need to build from source, that kind of thing with not like two sentences that would be useful as a reminder to you as the person who architected the solution five years from now. Oh, right. That's how I do it. That's terrible documentation, right? The documentation that you should be writing is assume the person reading this knows literally nothing about any of this, right? Like, because if you do that, it's just like accessibility. If you write documentation, assuming that the reader doesn't know what they're doing, you're going to be more thorough. Um, and therefore, you'll be less ambiguous, right? Hopefully not ambiguous at all to everyone, not just to the people who don't know what they're doing, but also to the person who is well-versed in this in this. Uh, scenario and uh, maybe just needs a quick little reminder, they can just kind of skim it and say, okay, yeah, yeah, I get all that, cool, and then we get to the part that I forgot or whatever and move on. Well, good documentation, stuff that's well documented, serves everyone. Just like accessibility, right? When you add accessible functions into your application, accessible UI, uh, you make it work better for people who are blind or, or in any other kind of way need accessibility features. You're not only making it better for them, you're making it better for everyone. And so everyone benefits, right? So there's really it just no downside to doing it that way. And I feel like with documentation, it's the same way. The more thorough you can be, the, the more clear you'll be to not just beginners, but advanced users and everybody in between. Um, and unfortunately, all the stuff that I've been working with this last couple of weeks is documented anywhere from like pretty bad, maybe halfway decent all the way down to essentially zero documentation at all. And granted, I'm trying to do something with these libraries um, in iOS, which is which these libraries were not really written to, to work that way, or at least they're not used that way traditionally. Um, so I understand that there's not going to necessarily be great, super great documentation for sort of my niche, which is 
getting these things to compile and run on iOS. But at the same time, if you have support for it at all, which these libraries do, why not write a little something um, to make it clear what you're doing? Like I'm using this this build tool called CMake, which I've never used before, um, and and it's and I have sort of this interesting appreciation not just for uh, reminding myself in the future to do better when I write my own documentation, like remember this lesson, right? But also how terrible it must be for juniors to try to either get help from a senior developer or to read documentation that that senior developer has written, somebody on your team, or, you know, here, this is your task. I need you to integrate this open source technology into our product. Go, right? And then they have to dig through this. I mean, I'm looking at pull requests and and uh, and uh, issue, sort of back and forth issue discussion on um, on GitHub, trying to understand what their original intent was four years ago when they were like, hey, we should add this support. <laughs> like the only documentation in some cases is just the back and forth between the person who's asking about it and the maintainer of the open source project <laughs> on, on how to make this work. And then of course, right, that, that information is so old that by the time I come around four years later to try and do it, it, it doesn't work, right? Because enough has changed about the platform and the tools and everything that the, that is no longer even valid advice as sparse as it was. And so kind of the, the two things that hit me this week were, I really need to make sure I remember <laughs> this lesson and then I do better <laughs> when I'm writing my own documentation, but also, and that accessible documentation, comprehensive documentation is good for everyone. Uh, but that also, uh, as a, as an industry or as a community of developers on this, on this uh, show, we're all senior developers and, just last week, we had Dan Morson, a, a junior developer. We need to constantly re- remind ourselves that as difficult as it is for us to be able to get through this, these docs, whether they exist or not, and understand how this works and get it to function, that's like the best case scenario, right? Like if I have 10 years of experience doing iOS development and like 12-ish years total as a developer, um, so I'm bringing all that to bear on this, and I'm basically just sort of grasping at straws, doing what I can to figure it out. Uh, so that's the best outcome, right? Like the for juniors, it's going to be way more arduous and more difficult. And that's something that I think uh, is very much lacking in in the industry. Like we, we don't we don't have an ethos of like apprenticeship, right? In sort of the old days of mm-hmm. being a blacksmith or something, and you know, or you make shoes or whatever it happened to have been, you typically will be mentored under a, uh, you know, a master craftsman, whatever they are, whatever kind of things they make. And you might do that for several years um, before you sort of have the experience and the confidence and the skill and the knowledge to be able to consider yourself to be, you know, a master craftsman yourself or a senior developer, whatever whatever the title that's relevant. Um, <laughs> Rockstar. Yeah, exactly, right? So, uh, so, so the, the thing is, we don't have that. It doesn't exist in really in the industry at all. And I don't understand why that seems it, it has worked for hundreds of years in others, in other industries. So like, <laughs> why is it suddenly this, Hey, you're on your own, figure it out. And if you come asking questions, I'm going to be sort of as terse as possible. Uh, and I'm not really going to help you that much. And also I'm going to, sh- I'm going to throw you at some docs that are anywhere from like, eh, okay to terrible. Um, yeah. It's just, 
this is more, I guess, event than it is anything else. So thank you all <laughs> on uh, on this, all my co-hosts and also everyone listening for listening to that that little rant. But uh, I hope what comes out of it is that we can all have a discussion, and then hopefully the listeners at home can also have a discussion, you know, among their team and and with maybe juniors that are on their team, stuff like that, about how we can do better, right? How we can do better in this industry to to help forward knowledge on to other people, whether they be seniors, juniors, or anybody in between, how can we be more efficient at at getting that information across so that you don't spend weeks just sort of floundering around trying to trying to make something happen? So is this when we introduce DDD development? Uh, no, sorry, documentation-driven development? <laughs> that's, that's you heard beautiful. it here that's first, awesome. folks. We completion has invented a new way to develop things yeah i mean um, you joke but that that sounds like definitely not yeah. the worst idea i've ever heard i mean what better way sounds to, like waterfall to me yeah a little bit right but like what better way to ensure that docs <laughs> are actually good than if you were to incorporate them into the development cycle itself right because it's always an afterthought it's always like after i write the program and i get the thing up and running and after like when like in that time when we're waiting to ship it right like then i'll have time to uh to write the docs but like that never happens because yeah. that time always gets filled up with something else and so then you just never time never gets made for the docs and then either you hurry something out and that's why they're bad or sometimes you'll have someone else be tasked with writing them but then they weren't involved and so then the, you know the docs also suffer that way so uh, i think that's certainly part of it is like when they occur and and it's kind of like uh testing and and accessibility and lots of other things that we tend to uh you know ignore in the process i think documentation writing and sort of making sure that that future generations, right? Whether that be literally a colleague a week from now, <laughs> or I'm long yeah. gone, and ten years from now somebody is coming on the team and trying to trying to understand something. No matter what the time frame is, the people that come after us can understand how to maintain it. I mean, kind of related to the previous topic, right? Like, you know, had you written more documentation, Spencer, maybe you would feel a little less overwhelmed yeah. right with the state of things i mean i have an app from several years ago that i pulled from That's the app store totally and i'm like oh boy this is a hot mess right and, if, <laughs> and there's basically no documentation <laughs> it's just the code and i feel like if if i had written some documentation for myself um i probably wouldn't feel quite so scared of this this sort of uh you know uh, ball of christmas lights that is now this this code base um because it feels very unapproachable, right? And and that's what documentation is supposed to fix. It's supposed to fix that unapproachable nature. I mean, certainly based on what I've been doing this week, what I've been doing has felt very unapproachable because CMake as a tool has a little language that you write in and it's not very obvious. And and like people will write in their examples, here, use this, use this script, right? In order to make your, to create your, C, your CMake script file so you can build your thing. I don't know CMake well enough to know when I look at this text, is yeah. this real code or is some of this placeholder text that they are putting in the doc? And they don't tell you. They don't that's, that's tell fair. you which yeah. is placeholder and and it's not obvious, right? Like in developers in particular are terrible at naming things. So like it's not at all obvious what can be replaced or should be replaced and what should be left alone, right? That, that's just one example. But but that's the thing is is without that, this whole thing to me feels insurmountably unapproachable. And 
and that's what is kind of gives you that just sort of feeling of like despair just never going to solve this and it's never going to get built and i'm never like and i'm currently that is currently what's happening to me right now like this feature i'm trying to build is based on all of these things and i need these things to even test this new feature before i even really work on it and what i'm stuck on is just getting the thing to build so i can just put it in the app and even yeah. see if it works at all and and i'm right now i'm in you know i'm in i'm uh, i'm in the doldrums where I'm like there's no wind the boat is not moving and i'm just like not even remotely confident that it's even gonna work and i and the only reason <laughs> I, i'll i'll shut up now but like the only reason that i that i that i have the enough confidence to keep moving is because I have 12 years experience and I know that this has happened before and, yeah. and it will happen again and that eventually I'll fix it. I'll eventually solve it. But imagine if I was only six months on the job, I'd probably think yeah. I picked the wrong career. Like <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I mean, it can be yeah. devastating yeah. to somebody's confidence. I can only I think imagine one big problem. Like... Oh, sorry. Go for go. Spencer. <laughs> I'll go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Spencer, your turn. Okay, I, I was just gonna say I can see that scenario as a junior developer where, you know, they'll say, "All right, let's get you acquainted with the code base. Go ahead and fix some some bugs or look at the tests and you know write some tests here." It would be, you know, I remember looking at um, an app that uh, one of my friends that I was working with previously. Uh, he ended up getting a job um, at a company here, and their app is very large. It's an app store. Um, editor's choice app and it was absolutely massive and we had never seen anything like that and he i remember his reaction was literally how am i going to learn this yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I can only imagine you know if they weren't documented well none of those methods or or classes were were documented that's so much more work and i as as i don't know if it was as much of a joke as uh you it maybe came off to as uh to me but like ddd honestly sounds like a good idea if i mean the same thing happens with tests where for for myself where i think i should definitely write tests for this and then if i forget to write tests in that moment and i do it later either the tests are not great or like you're like you're saying with documentation or i just forget to do it or i just yeah. don't do it so uh, implementing it into our workflow is like not honestly a bad idea for sure I think the thing is like, there's a couple levels of, are we documenting our own code? Is this documentation for a, an open source library? And a lot of times when I decide to use one library or another, it's, does it have good documentation? Because I need to figure out how to use it. Uh, and sometimes you don't have the option, which is probably where you're at right now, Ben. Um, but even there's, like- There's a name for that, right? Like um, knowledge that, that you acquire that stays in the job. Yeah, it has a, it has an industry term, um, like a, like captured knowledge or a silo of knowledge or some, something. Along yeah, that. I've heard about silos. Yeah. yeah, but something like that. That's that's the issue that you want to solve with documentation. Yeah. But if I get hit by a bus, what right. are you going to do? Just read the the code and understand yeah. it? Sure, yeah. you can do that, but it's going to take you, right. like, however yeah. big the code I mean, base is. What, and you just rewrite it's it. It's definitely a, a single point of failure. <laughs> there we right? go. It's a, it's a, it's a single right. person who maybe has knowledge that no one else in the company has. And if they, like you said, got hit by a bus, uh, the knowledge is gone. So unless yep. you can either relearn it or, or it is 
written down somewhere, the knowledge is just permanently gone, right? Like a password manager that you forget the password. It's like, well, yeah. those passwords are gone. There's <laughs> no way to get them back. Um, and, and the same thing is true well, with, and then, with knowledge. Right. And then even going above, like, you know, third-party libraries, it's like, I remember when Paul Solt and I were at WWDC in 2018, Swift UI was announced. We spent that entire week trying to figure out Swift UI, just like everyone else probably there. And there was no documentation for it. It just said no overview available for every single, uh, you know, struct. And we were like, oh, crap, how do we learn this? And the only place that we could go was the place that did have that sort of institutional knowledge of Swift UI, which was the, um, Chris Ladner. the, the help sessions. <laughs> oh. Well, um, and that was the only place that we could look. And it's like, these engineers that wrote it are the only ones on this earth that have that knowledge. If it's not in that documentation somewhere, then um, you've got people, like you're saying, Ben, floundering around. That's where Medium articles come out. That's where Stack Overflow questions come in. But I think, and those are great and they're helpful uh, to a developer of any level. But if the documentation was there, we'd probably need it a lot less. So it's sort of like we're we're bandaging the the wound rather than like, fixing the, the problem to begin with, if that makes sense. I, I think there's a lot going on, too, because the whole notion that, Ben, you don't know how to use CMake, there's a lot of toxicity going around the some parts of the developer community mm -hmm. where, like, if you, right. you're you just not part of the in-group. Like, yeah. uh, we're not going to show you how to use that. Um, oh, you and don't know. The lack, yeah, yeah, that very much. Really? And there's... The, like outside of the Apple sphere. Like we are very uh, closed off from a lot of that. And for like, thankfully for good reason, a lot of Apple's code is self-documenting to right. an extent. Like you can read that code and you know what it does without needing to go to the documentation if you've seen enough of their other code. It all follows the same style. It all follows the same wording um, and it builds on itself and fits in with itself. So. Like we are tremendously lucky to have that because that alone makes it so that way, even if there is no documentation, you can move forward. Mm -hmm, right. You can you can start to make progress. Um, and generally speaking, it's it's kind of like that triangle where you have to like pick two. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there's a lot more than just three pieces to this. But you have self-documenting code. You have the documentation. You have sample code. You have conceptual documents, and then you have a community. Um, and all of those pieces all work together to make something understandable and something that can be pushed forward uh, going forward by other people uh, without the original maintainers even being there anymore. Right. Um, now, this can be like DDD can be taken to extremes, just like TDD, uh, yeah. where yeah. like in government jobs, they will outline every single thing from the beginning and write a, a tome, not a book, a tome uh, that describes how the application should behave. And it's not taking into account any usability that you learn from making the application. It's just from the beginning that it has to be like this. And then, therefore, you have a piece of software that's impossible to even use, let alone maintain through documentation. But at least, I guess, you have, oh, this function is supposed to do this. It's all written out. Uh, I don't know if that's, that, that's ever a good thing, honestly. But that that mentality of taking a step back before you jump into something and drafting up some conceptual documents, that can help a lot because that's a start to your documentation. Then as you write your code, you can modify that, you can add examples to that, and much better than an API reference, which 
we might have on the web, or you might also need to look in header files, and it's like uh, segmented in various ways. At least it's there, right? We can't complain too much because sometimes it's never there. Um, but rather than that, which takes you only so far, it tells you, okay, this self-documenting code is not self-documenting enough, so here's exactly what each parameter should actually be named if you had enough characters to write sentences instead of just words. But having that conceptual document that walks you through how to use the API, what's the original intent, is way more useful because that's how you would go ahead and use it. And then you know if you're using it wrong because that's not part of the original intent. Um, and you can modify your your attack and, and uh, build up your features in a different way. Absolutely. I think, I think uh, what Ben said and what you said about being the in-group and being like and being like a trade skill. I think I think that is a big part of this in the sense that uh, pure computer science. I think it should be an engineering, but we've come very far from that from pure yeah. computer science. Like I myself, uh, I consider myself like uh, I'm, I'm a tradesman, right? I build software with the tools that I have. And I usually, 90% of the time, I don't worry about big O notation. I don't worry about uh, linked lists. I don't worry about a lot of CS concepts. Of course, you have to keep them in mind, but they're not integral. I've, I've known a lot of developers who have jobs, who, who produce decent software, who didn't have a, a pure CS upbringing. And I think that is very difficult to, uh, to, to understand for some people. Because we're still very young as an industry, like what? I don't think we're 100 years old. So I think the more we understand that, and I've been, I, I feel like I, I've been very vocal, and I want to keep being very vocal about this, is that we are like, I'm just, I'm just a tradesman. I am not an engineer. I, if you want me to build a wall, I'll cut the wood and do whatever I need to do. But I don't know where the saw came from. I wouldn't be able to build a saw if you asked me to. Maybe you're given enough time, obviously, but that's what I do. I cut wood, I build houses, and that's it. I have fun with the tools that I have. So the, the more we understand that, the more I feel we'll, we'll eventually migrate to the trades, uh, trades uh, school of learning, I would say, where you pick someone, you mentor them, and then they keep going and so on with the chain. Because I don't think what we have is working as well as, as it could because of all of this. Like, we know that... We need documentation. We know that we need this, but everyone in the industry just wants to keep going and going their own way. I don't know. It's it's really interesting topic for sure. It's interesting you bring that up because we can't. We shouldn't kid ourselves. We're not doing science. Computer science is all about investigating how to build something that's never ever been built before, um, mm -hmm. and so is engineering. You're building a bridge. We are not doing anything close to building a bridge, but in our jobs. Um, Imagine so, building a bridge and then delivering it, and they ask you for the blueprints, and you're like, "Blueprints? What blueprints? Just measure the bridge." <laughs> That'd be insane. You'd be like, "Uh," and that's what we do every day. So it's exactly. like, exactly, yeah. I mean, and none of us are really working on software that is going to mean life or death for anyone. Mm -hmm. So, like, with that in mind, like, I, the the word engineer and the word scientist is like floated around our industry so much. We're neither, none of those things. We're developers. We are those people that just go build houses out in nowhere and shove money at the problem of making more housing. 
like ultimately that's what we're doing just not with money we're just using the few skills that we have uh to put polish and a nice experience on a problem that we probably have ourselves and we just wanted to fix it in some way that's ultimately what we do as app developers um, but we are not solving those very difficult problems um, that like pure computer science is ultimately responsible for managing uh, making uh, distributed systems that work well in all these different situations. That's something that a computer scientist is ultimately going to be responsible for because they're going to run actual experiments. They're going to see, oh, is this actually a better way of doing this? They're going to write a paper and a thesis and uh, and an article on it, not an, not a blog article, an article that goes in a journal, you know, like the real thing. <laughs> That's what a computer scientist is. And we shouldn't kid ourselves because we are not that. And yep. nor are we trying to want those skills. Like we don't need those skills for what we're doing. Um, and the people that do exactly. go through completely to get those skills, they should. They are ultimately going to be doing different stuff, or they're also going to be doing app development because that may be more fun to them and less academic in nature. Um, I, I agree a hundred percent with that. And just to, to keep the analogy going a little bit, it's like if you wanted to build the bridge. Uh, no, everyone wants to build the bridge. Uh, but in reality, what I've found is that mo most people don't actually need like a full-blown San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. They have like a stream that they want to cross. And so you can actually build a wooden bridge. I know how to build a wooden bridge. I can build it for you. <laughs> and they're like, but you have you built the Golden Gate Bridge? And I'm like, well, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm only taking applicants that can actually build like a 10-mile bridge. <laughs> All right. I guess that's fine. I think something to keep in mind is that uh, I, I wanna I wanna caution our audience that we're I don't think any of us are saying that being a plumber or a construction worker or anything like that is a bad profession or is not worth the, our time. No, nor are we saying that being a developer is not worth our time. You, you can be a thirty year construction worker and you can have a wealth of knowledge and skill that is like unsurpassed, right? I mean, you can be someone that has. Yeah, all you know how to do is build houses, but you can build a damn good house. Like you, you know, you really have have mastered the skill of construct planning and constructing and executing on a uh, a plan, a process, and a blueprint. And you can create, you can see through the vision, right? From from a, a you know a render or a blueprint to a a standing house that you can walk into and live in. And I think that's. Um, that's what we do, right? We we take in in many ways. I think part of what drew me specifically maybe to app development, you know, building up mobile apps, is that for a long time when I was in when I was a kid, I wanted to be a film director. And what what I liked about uh, the idea of being a film director was the idea of taking something that someone invented right in their mind and put on paper and maybe made some sketches of. And I help that, you know, a lot of people think that the director's job is to sort of order everyone around. That is sort of a, a vague side effect, but like what is actually happening, the, the reason why famous directors are, are revered is because they know how to see the vision of an idea mm -hmm. and a narrative and turn it into a story that is visually compelling. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's compelling with its sound design and its costumes. And like they, you know, the, the film director is really the one they're the, they're kind of like the conductor of an orchestra, right? They're trying to make, everyone's doing their job 
and you're trying to kind of make it all fit together and become a cohesive thing at the end. And I feel like once you've got some practice and you're doing this kind of work, um, like the work that I'm currently doing, is as much as I'm sitting in front of my computer in front of Xcode and writing individual lines of code that construct the pieces of my bridge, right? I'm also mm -hmm. uh, taking the ideas from the product people and the marketing people and the whoever, right? And if the app that I'm working on isn't shipping yet, but if it were a shipping app, I'd be taking input from users and potential customers, and right? And you're trying to kind of meld all that together and turn it into a vision that is what it should be, right? And I think that that is not to be discounted as a skill, and it is it is it is actually a lot more cross functional than people might think. Um, than it than just yep. sort of a code monkey, right? Somebody who just slings code all day. Um, and and I think that the only real way, good way to to know how to do that well is getting a lot of experience. And so that's why I think things, you know, like having sort of an apprenticeship style model, like having a trade style model, is is what would ultimately yeah. work really well for this industry. And yet we've, like we've said here in the last couple of minutes, right, we've kind of defaulted into this like computer science, you're a scientist, you're an engineer yeah. sort of modality for both learning the material firsthand and then like for thinking about yourself after that. And, and I don't think it's a good fit for what we really do. But at the same time, I, I think what we do has value. And I think what we do um, is, is worth is worth the money that apparently people are willing to pay, right? I mean, the programmers are like some of the best paid sort of middle-class people in the United States anyway. Um, and it's because our skills are in demand and because not everyone can do what we do. And while you, what you said for now, right? What you really need is just a wooden bridge over your brook. I don't, you're not building a gold gate bridge. Um, even if all you're building is just a wooden bridge over your little, uh, your little brook and behind your house, most people still can't do that. Like that's still, even in a much simpler scenario, yeah. mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. still a skill that most people don't have. Um, so I think uh, it is, it is still, it's still a valuable and important part of society. It's just, it's just, I think the way that we're thinking about it is like, like we've all said here, I think it's just not quite right. It's not quite dialed in to what we're actually doing. Mm -hmm. and, and I find that kind of infuriating. <laughs> Someone who's like in the industry <laughs> and like having to sort of navigate this, um, but also I've, it's like really interesting that that's sort of how we ended up. And we're like you said, Fernando, we're a pretty young industry. I think by a generous yep. estimate, let's say 1970 as like the cutoff point, which is not actually the cutoff point, but let's just for purposes of argument say that it's 1970. We're only 50 years in, you know, yeah. and like blacksmiths have had a thousand years or more or whatever. I don't know what that actual number is, but like a way longer yep. time to sort of figure out how things are supposed to work. Right. <laughs> things, and yeah. so, uh, I don't fault us as a group of people, as a community for not having all this figured out. But also I, I think it's interesting that we kind of like, basically we're a bunch of math majors. And then, I mean, the, the oldest professors I had at, in college were, they all had their doctorates in math. They weren't computer scientists. Like, Purely, they were mm -hmm. ma they were mathematicians mm -hmm. who, because when they got their doctorate, they didn't even have a CS degree. That they all weren't... you could get was a math yeah. degree, right? Yeah. So yep. we kind of evolved from a very like academic, purely sort of math focused discipline to this, right? To like we're building apps using a, a platform that somebody has spent billions of dollars <laughs> to create. <laughs> That's not what they what those people thought would happen. Probably would happen at the time. No, so it's not. 
surprising that we're in this scenario. But it's also interesting that like 50 years on, nobody really is doing anything about like, what if we think about this differently? Why, why not do this a different way? And, and we're just like allowing it to be kind of suboptimal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To to wrap up that whole analogy, I'll, you gave me the idea that we live in a world where people don't understand wood. <laughs> so even if you wanted to build a small wooden bridge, people would be like, "I have no idea how you this do wood this." You keep talking about, and understand. you're like, "This." <laughs> yeah, that, that's 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 more true than you yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Well, yeah, I don't understand wood. Don't thank you, Dimitri, for correcting me. <laughs> Um, one one quick reminder with everything that Ben said, the the construction worker that's building a house that has a wealth of experience over thirty years, they don't need to be an engineer because they work right. with engineers. Yeah, we yeah. are working with the people that built the language that we're using. You know, we are putting our input, we submit bug reports, we are part of that process as yeah. much as anything. But we don't need to right. be the engineer, as, mm-hmm. like for all of that. We can be completely successful without being that key person that is holding up all the infrastructure that we're sitting at the top of building our right. fancy house. Yeah. And um, that's Good something point. that uh, I think everyone needs to remember going into development is that you just need to bring your skills to this field and put together something that hasn't been put together yet because the right set of skills haven't been brought together. Yeah. Agreed. I think you're... I go, Spencer. Sorry. I was just going to say, it very much feels like, you know, uh, like you were all saying before, it's like we're kind of moving out of this like institutional collegiate um, mindset mm-hmm. into something, you know, that's that isn't that. And it's just like any other field. If you go and get a degree in, I don't know, um, something biology. that is engineering, I don't know, sure, biology or like even fine arts or whatever, you don't have to be a professor to go get a job in that thing. You don't have to have that level of institutional academic knowledge to do that because that's kind of what the professors are there for, just like Apple and all of the um, the people, like Dimitri said, whose backs we're kind of uh, standing on. They're just there to do their job and we can yeah. kind of you know build the lower level things. We can build those those small bridges and they can worry about making that Golden Gate Bridge. And I think the difference, I think the difference yeah, I until agree. recently, and when I said recently, like in the last 25 years, you kind of did need to be like the PhD type, right? Like to be sort yeah. of the pinnacle of writing software and building. There was no yeah, infrastructure. So like you had to yeah, be exactly. like the expert, expert <laughs> yeah. in order to do it. And I think there's, there's like a reckoning coming, coming, you know, recently now and in the near future where that is very much not. The wheel yeah, has like we don't need that. Any, like we need those people, yeah. but we don't need them to be at the front lines, right? Like those people do not need to be. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. During this you whole can... conversation, uh, uh, sorry, go Dimitri. You can go to Home Depot and buy your two by four to build your house. You don't right. go cut down trees <laughs> yes. to right, exactly. process them to build your house. Because you don't understand wood, yeah. so you just go to Home Depot and buy the wood. No, and then you ruin a few wood. pieces of wood from not using it correctly, yeah, but you learn exactly. from the process. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. During this whole conversation, I've been looking for this article. I, I didn't know it. It's from wow. 96. It's called They Write the Right Stuff, uh, which is a an interesting article about how NASA wrote software like 30 years ago. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's extremely complex, documented, line by line, 
code that everyone needs to check three times before it goes into production because lives depend on it. But we're we can't be any further yeah. away from that. Like Instagram or Tinder or whatever app we're building, it's like it's not even it's close. It's not a space shuttle. It's literally I mean, not and rocket my, and my dad's first programming <laughs> job out of school, he his bosses encouraged him to write his code on paper and then check it, like, mm. sort of proofread it on paper wow. before he puts it in the computer. Because at the time, you had to sort of take up space on the mainframe on the server to sort of input and run your code. And they didn't want to spend the cycles because they were expensive. They didn't want to spend the cycles to run it and have it break. So it was like, check your code on paper. And then when you think it's good, then go run it. Whereas now, like, I mean, I write absolute garbage directly into, <laughs> directly into Xcode. <laughs> and I just help. I just have Xcode. Hopefully, help me fix it. Like there, that would be that other process would just be like it's it's so much lower yes, stakes, right? Now. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And and I think I I really appreciate you saying that, Ben, because it's like it goes again to Dimitri's comment about like mm-hmm. the in group, the we're the cool yeah. guys, we get this. I don't get it. Like ninety percent of the time, I don't get it, and I'm still like part of the senior developers that yeah. do get it. So the more people pretend to get it, the more harm yeah. it does to the industry. Like we're not PhD majors, we're we're smart people who get things, but still like like your CMake example, like sometimes yeah. you just don't get it. And it's rough. It like it's just rough. So with all that said, this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by NotFa. Tired of eating time and time again? Consider Vietnamese food. You might already know pho, but there are a ton of other flavors specific to Vietnamese cuisine that are sadly not well known around the world. This includes everything from sandwiches like banh mi, rice plates like com tam, and even the deliciously savory crepes known as banh seo. That's where the app Not Pho comes in. It's a free app dedicated to teaching you more about the wonders behind Vietnamese cuisine, brought to life with colorful and interactive illustrations and animations. Learn how to make classic Vietnamese flavors at home, but even if you don't cook, you'll know how to order like a pro the next time you visit your local Vietnamese restaurant. Thanks again to Not Pho for sponsoring our show. Search for Not Pho, that's N-O-T space P-H-O, on the app store today to give it a try completely for free. And now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, can you take it away? Sure. So last week, we had a question about uh, a conditional statement, a fairly complex one. Um, and our winner is, once again, Craig Swanson. Um, he tweeted at us and said, I feel, like in the movie, I feel like I'm in the movie Inception after contemplating this for a while. I'm all wrapped up in layers of truths and falsehoods. But I, the answer I came up with is, um, and it was the correct answer, it's the answer you see on your screen. Or if you're listening to the podcast, check the show notes or the chapter art for a screenshot of the, the solved um, the solved question. Basically, what we were trying to have you do was have you invert the logic in the if statement because what we had was an if statement that had no action in its, in its uh, affirmative state and we had action only in the else. And so to sort of clean that up, we said, let's invert all of the conditional um, so that we can then get rid of the else and put the work that was happening in the else in the if instead. So if you look on the screen, it's not at, uh, at bool A or bool B and not bool C or int A is not equal to int B and int C is less than or equal to int A is the answer to the conditional to flip it. It was a little more complicated than it than it looked at first. You couldn't just sort of put a knot in front of the whole thing and call it done. 
you had to sort of think through it and completely invert all of the the conditional logic so that it would produce the correct answer which if all of that is true then our um our print segment would run for this week's prompt we have why can't i scroll here there we go uh for this week's prompt we have what you see again either on your screen or in the in the um the chapter art we have a date cell table view cell uh, that that's a subclass uh, with two properties: a static let date formatter configured with a date formatter with the date format uppercase yyy dash uppercase mm dash lowercase dd. So that's our custom date format. The other is an instance property called date of type optional date with a property observer that switches on date with two cases dot sum where date is redeclared, turned into a string using the static date formatter and assigned to the cell's text label and dot none where not available is assigned to the text label. So this code in theory works, but there might be something wrong with it. it might be something that's a little bit uh, a little bit incorrect. So kind of like last like I think the week before last, we have code here that is ostensibly correct but might actually have a mistake in it and your job this week is to figure out where we made a mistake. So with all this time for compiler error a segment where I get to test my fellow completionists and uh, and see what their knowledge uh, brings about with regard to Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, so I, once again, uh, I'll read out some statements, and some of them are true, and one of them is false. Uh, and it's up to all of you to use your master debugging skills to determine which one is the compiler error. Uh, so whenever you're ready, Ben. All right. So uh, we have our four statements here. Uh, let's go ahead and take them and take a look at them one by one. Uh, so the first one, although the same can be done using modifier and arrow keys, the text cursor can be quickly moved to the beginning and to the end of a document by using control A to go to the beginning and control Z to go to the end. Notice this is not command, this is control. Statement number two, you may know of the command delete command to delete the entire line to the left of the text cursor but control K can be used to delete the line to the right of the, of the text cursor. Statement number three, available as an alternate clipboard, control K and control Y represent the kill and yank operations that let you cut and copy text without overriding your main clipboard. The clipboard they use is actually called the kill ring. And statement number four, control T is a useful command for transposing two letters that were typed out of order by flipping the characters on each side of the text cursor. So those of you that are used to uh, the Mac OS system might r realize that these are all Emacs bindings that are available throughout most apps on Mac OS and actually on iPad OS as well. Uh, so uh, let's go with Fernando first to determine which one is the compiler error. I was going to say, I don't know if I want to participate in this one because I want to try out each and every one of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are like like the control T transposing to letters. I'm like, that's just not true. But I don't know. I like the kill and yank is also ridiculous. Uh, this this is the first the, the first compiler error where, where I honestly have no idea. Like, I have no idea. I'll say that the less developer -y 
thing here is probably the kill and yank. So uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's my answer. I'll go. I'll go for number three. Okay. Got little dimples now. Uh, so let's <laughs> go with uh, Spencer next. Okay. Um, this is where macOS just it has so much depth, and I'm learning new things all the time. <laughs> um, off the top of my head, I think um, number two is okay. I think you can use um, Control K to delete the line right next to the cursor. Um, but I'm like a little bit confused because we're using Control K twice here, it, once in two and once in three. And I'm like wondering if there's a difference when text is selected. Uh, I think Control A will let you go to the beginning. The only thing I'm not sure about is if Control Z will go to the end. I've never used that before. And I'm fairly sure that Command T or Control T will let you flip things. I have seen that one before. So I'm kind of hovering here between one and three as well. Um, let's go with one. Okay, so Spencer thinks one is the compiler. Ben? So I'm almost I almost want to not participate sort of out of principle because uh, Emacs should die a fiery death and VI forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I, uh, wow. I I'm definitely a VI person, um, and I actually didn't even realize that these Emac bindings were uh, were available like the, as you've described. Um, so uh, I'm mostly just going to be shooting in the dark here, um, but. One feels feels like that would be a thing that you know that would work, um, uh, and I do know that like you know in in VI you can you can yank and paste and all that kind of thing and, and cut, cut cut and paste stuff like that. So I can imagine that there would easily be a couple of characters, uh, you know, a couple of uh, macros to do the same thing in Emacs. Um, so I feel like three probably is accurate. Um, and it, it, it does feel very Mac-like to be like, yeah, there's the clipboard, and then there's also this other thing that you can do if you're like in a super <laughs> secret club of people who know that all these Emacs bindings exist, and you can have a, in, guys. a separate clipboard. Yeah, exactly, right? Like apropos of our discussion earlier. Um, that also John Syracuse. Yeah, it feels very John Syracuse-y <laughs> to me that there's like a whole alternate clipboard. Um, so I'm going to say that that's true. Uh, so that means we're down to two and four. Um which is making for an interesting compiler error because we're probably all going to end up with, with different answers. Uh, so let's see. Command delete allows you to delete the entire line to the left and then control K lets you delete to the right versus uh, control T. I'm going to sort of cheat and use the knowledge that Spencer already shared about how he thinks that control T is something he's seen before of transposing and it would make sense that T would be used in that case. So I'm going to say number two is the compiler error. Final answer. Watch us all be no, wrong. Probably. <laughs> I, I tested so, them all. But so Dimitri, there's, please. A, there is no sweep this week. So uh, you all, one of you is correct, while the other <laughs> two are wrong. Um, I want to preface this by saying that this is something that came in with Mac OS X and Coco. So Coco specifically, Coco app specifically, had all these key bindings that were available. 
Uh, and the way this works is actually fascinating. There's a file in the system library that you can put in your own uh, user library that will specify exactly which key bindings uh, trigger which actions. So Objective-C actions. So there's a file with, it's just a, an, a dictionary, um, basically a property list. Um, and the key is a key binding, and the value is an actual action, Objective-C action on NS Responder that will be triggered when you want something to happen. So if you have like symbol installed from back in the day, and you had completely random stuff that was attached to every application that's running on the system, you can type in a completely random action into there and have that trigger just from a random key binding, uh, and that would happen system-wide. So I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, how they put this together. Um, but that said, we all want to know the answer. So let's start with uh, number four at the bottom. So Control-T is a useful command for transposing two letters. And that is absolutely true. So you would basically just put your insertion pointer uh, somewhere. So I'm going to put it uh, between, um, I guess I can't edit this uh, as I wanted. But uh, for instance, I can put it right in between. I still can't edit it. Oh, well, no editing for me. Um, I was going to edit the screen, but it's giving me trouble. Uh, but you can flip two characters. So imagine if I had a uh, insertion character right here between the, the S and the P in transposing, and I did Control-T, it would flip the S and the P, uh, so that way it would fix it. This is very useful when you're typing quickly and you mix characters up. You can quickly put your insertion pointer somewhere, Control-T, and fix it. I use this one all the time. So let's go to the, no, nothing is working. There we go. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this, so, this is a dumb game. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> you might be the one that's right. We'll get it right eventually. So, okay. so available as an alternate clipboard, kill and yank give you operations that have access to a secondary clipboard that does not conflate with command C and command V, um, which is very, very useful uh, if it were true, and it is true. Um, so uh, kill and yank use something called a kill ring, which is part of Emacs, um, but the system only... Uh, implements one level of that ring. So in Emacs, it's actually a buffer, so you can keep adding stuff to it and then rotate through. Um, but on macOS, it's just a buffer like the clipboard. Uh, so you can copy something with Command-C, and then you're like, shoot, I need this thing as well. You can kill it, which will delete it, so you need to yank it right afterwards to put it back. It's a cut operation, not a copy. Um, but then you can go yank it somewhere else um, as long as you're using Cocoa Apps. Now, it's things like Slack and Microsoft Teams and who knows whatever <laughs> other Electron thing. Electron. They do not work well with this. Um, so write native apps so that way we can continue to use Kill and Yank because there they are go. very useful. What's, what's hilarious about this one is that I was like, OK, even if this is true, there's no way it's called the Kill Ring. Like Dimitri is just <laughs> like, he's trolling me hard here. <laughs> My hat off, so, literally. So going to statement number two, you may know of the command delete command to delete everything to the left of the cursor to go to the beginning. And I use this constantly in Xcode to delete the line. Unfortunately, it doesn't actually delete the whole line. You have to delete again, which is maddening, but alas. Um, there is another command, control K, to delete everything to the right of the text cursor. Um, and some of you noticed that control K was being used in both of these. So how could it? be the same command in both of these statements. One of them must be wrong. Uh, but Spencer was actually right to know that if you select text, it will not delete everything to the right of the cursor. It will just delete that part of text, and it will add it to that uh, kill ring. 
so this is absolutely a correct statement as well. So sorry, Ben. So I don't want to play this game anymore either. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but all that means that Spencer actually got it right this year, this uh, week, and I think he got it right last week or the week uh -oh. before last week as well. But I was drunk off of it being too hot, um, like over a hundred. <laughs> so I just like completely blew past that fact, and I'm like, ah, I got it right again. Uh, but I was totally wrong uh, two weeks ago, so I apologize for that, Spencer. Though it might be Johnny. I don't. I don't remember any of this. So. I, I don't think it was me. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody got it right. That's we'll the have, important part. Yeah, I, I, I was not correct in that I stumped everyone. Someone someone stumped me. Um, but that means that although uh, the same can be done using modifier and arrow keys, uh, the text cursor cannot be moved to the beginning and the end of a document using Control A and Control Z. Control A will move to the beginning of a line, but not the entire document. And Control Z was just some made up thing that I thought of uh, because A to Z, beginning and end of document, I figured, eh. That sounds plausible with Emacs. Um, it turns out some other crazy combination uh, that I quickly forgot because so I don't remember. It does exist. It's just not those particular key bindings. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't think it does Mac, anything in my document. Control yeah, Control-Z Z doesn't do anything. Control-A will go to the beginning of a line. Yeah. Um, and on the Mac, if you don't know, it's command up and down arrow that will move um, mm -hmm. to the to the top and the bottom of the document. Command left and right will go to the beginning and end of the line. Option uh, arrow keys will go one word at a time. Hold down shift and you can select at the same time. So getting proficient with these key bindings can be very uh, useful to your productivity because you can quickly manipulate uh, code um, that you're uh, running through. So um, that's what I was kind of doing when I thought of this. Um, and I didn't actually have a compiler error ready until like, Two hours before the uh, stream, uh, and I was like, "This is perfect." So I'm, I just went with it, and it seems like it was a fun one. Spencer saw right through he you. Did. No, I'm kidding. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, "That A to Z, that that doesn't sound like Emacs. It needs to be fishy. more difficult than that." Yeah, you know me. I'm, I'm an Emacs guy. I'll, I'll add to to your shortcuts imagery. I like all of them. I'll add that if you're in a one-line text field, the up and down arrows will bring you to the beginning and the end of it. Except in it's Google Search. Oh, nice. <laughs> I will say, though, bringing up yeah. you know, the point of like option and, and left and right, or option shift left and right, that's something that also for me has been something huge, just to like yeah. try to get my hands off of the mouse or my trackpad as much as possible and keep my hands on the keyboard. It makes editing code a lot more fast. So if, if you're listening to this and you don't do this, Try it out. It takes a while to get used to, but it actually is. Uh, it can kind of speed up your your workflow by a fair amount. For sure. And there's there's also a little uh, keyboard viewer that you can turn on. I forget where exactly you turn on the option to be able to turn it on, but there's a little keyboard viewer that lets you kind of see all the hidden uh, keys that your keyboard can type. Um, so understanding the tool that you're using is tremendous to boosting your productivity as much as possible. So anytime you can kind of learn new tricks like this, I encourage you to definitely do so. Not only will you be able to stump me at um, compiler error in the future, uh, <laughs> if I ever decide to pull out more of these, but you'll also be way more productive as a result. So with all of that, let's go back to normal stuff and it's my opportunity to say thank you uh, once again to everyone for listening live and listening in this week uh, as always i want to personally thank uh, everyone uh, we stream every friday 
Uh, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes go live and get released. Be sure to also sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website at codecompletion.io. Um, I've been writing more articles about what we talk about on the podcast, adding some details and clarifying some topics. So um, as we get more of those, we'll uh, start sending out monthly newsletters that kind of accumulate that knowledge um, so that way you can uh, learn more about the code you interact with. Uh, and most importantly, as a new podcast, please be sure to share uh, this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. Uh, it's really your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around uh, everything we talk about. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is from junior to senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R -R on Twitter. Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis, uh, S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C. C-U-R-T-I-S, and Ben, who is at Ferris Guy, that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y, uh, for joining me this week. Once again, my name is Dimitri, and you can find me at uh, Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Awesome. Yeah. Bye, guys.